When we first moved to Liverpool and all of the travelling and moving nomadically amongst friends' houses was over, the first thing we did as soon as we got settled was to build a home for ourselves so that we had a base uh, to support the team in planting Freedom Church from. So over the first couple of years of my life here, uh, as it was with the other leaders of Freedom Church as well. It was filled with DIY and builders knocking down walls, fitting kitchens, laying floors, doing loft conversions, uh, having a couple of marital disputes over the colour schemes. Middle class problems, I know. Uh, then when this was done, we, we could begin in earnest what we really felt called to do here in Liverpool, which was to begin building a church, a dwelling place, a house uh, for God in this city. But I remember distinctly in this time, just God putting the brakes on for me, just as we were looking to get going with building this church and starting off in Liverpool and speaking to me about wanting to relay some of the foundations in my life that were there before I got going. And he spoke to me about two things in particular. Firstly, it was about his magnificence and his plan to fill the whole world with his worship. I read two books which really affected me over the time. One was the Nation, Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper and another was The Knowledge of the Holy by Tozer. And they just spoke to me in a new way about his mission and magnificence. And secondly, he spoke to me about trust, in particular trusting him completely for the future, for my life's future and for the future of the church. And I felt in this time he promised me, just in a new way, that he would build my life and he would build the church in accordance with his will and plan. And that all I needed to do was to rest in this and have confidence in it. And I'm so grateful for when God put the halt on me with this and started speaking to me. Because through these two things, God gifted me a new perspective on what I was doing and, and a rest that I did not have in my Christian life and leadership before. He lifted a great burden off me and in its place replaced it with a real deep confidence that he would build his dwelling on earth and fulfil his plans. It was a great time for me. Do you know, today, when we catch up with David in 2 Samuel 7, he's in a similar transition point in his life to that which when we moved to Liverpool, but in a more kingly way, on a more kingly scale. See, David, by this time, had been established as a king of both Judah and Israel. All internal and external battles had stopped and quietened down, and his nomadic days had come to an end. And he had settled and built a house for himself. And in this passage, he now starts and turns to thinking about how to do the main thing, how to build a house for God, building a house or temple for God. So read on with me. We're just going to start with one to seven and we'll see what happened as he turned to think about building a house for God. And it said this, says this, after the king was settled in his palace, 
and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Do you know, I love David's heart here. You know, peace has come to his household, prosperity. He's got this beautiful wooden cedar house himself for the first time in his life. It's a, a real moment of calmness. And his first impulse is to stop and compare what he has built for himself with what he has built for God. And he realises that his estate far outstrips God. Although he has victory, peace and a home to live in, you know, God hasn't got, got any, he's still living in a nomadic tent. He's still living in a tabernacle. He has no place, no temple at the centre of this settled kingdom. So David here, filled with a desire to build this dwelling place for God amongst the people, inquires of Nathan the prophet to see whether God would have him start work on a house for him. And Nathan initially says, yeah, great, go for it. But then after meeting with the Lord, he realises he's given wrong advice and comes and puts the brakes on David's building plans, saying simply to David in verses five to seven, as we've just read, God says, just as he never asked the leaders of Israel that went before you, Gideon, Samuel, to build him a fixed house, he has not asked for you to build him a house either. It's a fairly big shoot down, really, if you think about it. David wants to do an incredible uh, thing, a bit like what we want to do in the city and build a home for God where he can dwell and be known. A place where the king of all glory's presence can be known by those who don't yet know him. And God says, I never asked you to do that for me. Do you know, I've, I remember once I bought a CD of Ben Folds 5, great CD for my sister, for Christmas, really excited about giving it to her, took it up to her, gave it to her, wrapped it up fairly nicely. It's not my forte really wrapping, but I remember her, her getting it, unwrapping it, looking at it and going, Matt, I don't even like Ben Folds 5. Why did you get me this? Couldn't you have asked me what I wanted? Oh, it's, it's gutting. There's nothing more gutting than trying to do something nice for somebody and getting it wrong. I feel for David here. He was just shot down and, and later, on as we go on through his life we see this not even that God didn't want to have a temple for his name he just didn't want David to do it at this time he wanted Solomon David's son to do it in some ways I think that's even harsher you want to do this job David but I actually want somebody else to do it not you you're not hired but as ever 
when we see what we see when we read on in this passage is that God's no here in this time and to this person is not because in any way he is rejecting David. It's actually because before anyone in Israel laid a brick of the temple, God first wanted them to fully understand the home that he was building for himself and his people and the nature of this. In fact, through Nathan to David here, God gives a new covenant agreement, an unbreakable contract with David about what he will build for his people. And this covenant, as we read it, has three parts. The first that is in eight to nine, where God promises to build David's life story to a glorious end. Let's just read it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people, Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. You know, four times God repeats the repetition, repeats, re- repeats the word I hear um, and leaving us in no doubt that he wanted David in this moment to remember and rest in the fact that he was the author and architect of David's life story, that he always had been and that he would continue to be. God here is covenanting with David to continue building his life as he always has done, protecting him, leading him and taking him on. That's the first part of this covenant. Secondly, we see that God shows that he covenants with him that he would build a home and a place of rest for his people, for Israel. We see this in 10 to 11. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning. And I have done ever since the time that I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. God here reminds David again that the people were his, referring to them as my people. And he reminds him he has always been the one who appointed Israel's leaders. And he promises David that he will provide a place for his people where they will get rest from their enemies and disturbance. I mean, I love the wording of this promise in verse 10 here. God will provide a home where they will no longer be disturbed. The idea of being disturbed, disturbances bring you anxieties and challenges here. And he's saying, look, I will provide a home where these things will be taken from you. God here is unbreakably promising to look after his people by building a safe place for them to know true rest from anxiety. Thirdly here, if we read on, God shows David how he was building a much bigger dwelling place for himself than could ever be contained within a house built by man. We read this in 11 to 16. 
The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. I mean, this is a magnificent bit of scripture that points to a couple of really key things in the Christian faith. Firstly, It tells us what God's ultimate goal was, that this was never to be confined to a house built by the hands of men, but that he was building an everlasting kingdom, an everlasting domain, king's domain or king's dwelling place that wasn't just retained in a temple, but went on and on and on, filling ever more space in an ending measure until the whole earth and beyond was fulfilled. God was telling David here that his building plans were far more extensive and long-lasting than the house David wanted to build. He was building a dwelling place that was everlasting and uncontainable. Secondly, though, and probably most amazingly about this little bit of prophetic scripture, is that God not only tells David what his building plans are, he tells them how he is going to build this uncontainable, everlasting dwelling place. Saying that when David was dead, God would raise up another king who would be a strange, unique mix of David's own bloodline. It would be a continuation in one way of David's own household and kingdom. But also we see in verse 14, God's family line. He would also have God's family line where through God being his very father and he his very son, he would share in God's nature. He would be homoousian with God. And it goes on to say, although he would be punished for inequity, iniquity, receiving man's judgment, it would be through this begotten son, Davidic man-king, that God brought about his eternally established, never-ending kingdom and house on earth. So let me just pause here for a second, because if you're a Christian today, this is a piece of scripture that you should know by heart, because it points directly to Jesus. Here, a thousand years before Jesus came, God unbreakably promised in this moment that he was going to build his unending home for his presence through Jesus. If that does not stir your spirit, if it doesn't awaken courage, if it doesn't inspire wonder as a follower of Jesus today if you respond simply with a yeah I know that already got that one got that one nailed up top 
I want to say you've got dead spirit issues and you need to ask God to open your heart again to the wonder of his plan of Jesus here. Because what we see here in this moment is that 1,000 years before Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born in Bethlehem, in the town of his earthly ancestor, David. 1,000 years before the Holy Spirit descended on him, pronouncing, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. 1,000 years before he began to preach the kingdom come and do miracles and to show who he was and that God's presence was breaking in. 1,000 years before he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. 1,000 years before he took the iniquity and the wrongdoing of us all and was judged by man and struck by man on the cross. 1,000 years before he rose again and God established him as eternal king forever. God unbreakably promised to David that he would do this, that this would be the way he would build his uncontainable kingdom dwelling in all the earth. And that is simply amazing. So these, though, are the covenant promises that God responds to David with when he says, no, I don't want you to build me a temple right now. And if we put them together, we see this. Firstly, he says, no, David, don't build me a house. First, I want you to understand that I covenant to build your life to glory. Secondly, he says, no, David, don't build me a house. First, understand that I covenant to build a place of rest and safety for my people. And thirdly, he says, no, David, don't build me a house. First, understand that I am uncontainable and have plans to dwell in the whole earth. And by the way, I'm going to use Jesus to do it. You know, rather than a harsh shutdown from a, a cold father like I first described when God says, no, I didn't ask you to build me that. This response changes the whole feel of 2 Samuel. It makes it feel a little bit more like a scene where uh, a young son, a loving son, brings to his father a picture of a, a Lego house he wants to build him. And the father looks at it and puts it to one side and says to him, son, I love your drawing and would love to build this house with you. But before we have a good look at that, I want you to know something deeply about how much I love you. I love you so much that I have given you this great palace around us and this kingdom that we're in. And it's an awesome palace and kingdom. I just want you to take some notes about it for a second. There is the swimming pool over here. There's the tennis course. There's the cinema room. There's loads of bedrooms. And if you look out the window at the kingdom beyond, there are lakes and mountains and valleys and cities all to explore before you. And it will never be taken from you. Now, son, how do you understand that? Let's have a look at this awesome house you want to build with me. Why do you want me to live specifically in your house? Oh, that's brilliant. God, let's fill that. God wanted David to understand fully the security and the riches and the promise that was there in the house that he was building before David built him anything. And when David sees God's blueprints here, uh, covenant 
promises here, rather than being bummed out that God said no, he spends the rest of the chapter, if you read it yourself, in adoration and prayer, thanking God for all, uh, for all he has done and the wonder of all he will do. It's a great chapter. It's a great 17 verses we've just read. What are the lessons from the life of David for us to take hold of in it then? Well, there, there are a couple. I just want to touch on a couple. Firstly, you know, I love this moment when Nathan gets it wrong. For those of you who have prophetic gifts, this is a great encouragement. Nathan got it wrong. He needed a second bite of the cherry. And actually, it must have been pretty humbling for him coming back to the king saying, I'm really sorry. You know when I said go do what you had in your heart? I just got that wrong. Uh, here's what God really says. Listen, sometimes we have to come back and we have to listen again to God. And he encourages us in this passage, encourages us to do so. There's one quick lesson. Secondly, look, this teaches that sometimes, even to kings, God says no. He says, that's a good idea, but that job is not for you. I want somebody else to do it. You know, the, the Christian life can be full of these moments where God says, no, no, I don't want you to go there. I don't want you to do that job. I don't want you to lead that church. Do you know, there can feel like there's blockages in our road at certain times in our Christian life. You know, and we can get down, feel rejected at this time. But through this passage and what it teaches us, God invites us not to see it this way. Because never for the believer who is in Christ is a no, him rejecting us. Just as it wasn't for David. Instead, it is that he will have different plans and purposes to teach us about and mature us in. And he wants us to lift our eyes again and focus on his building plans above ours and get to know those and step in with faith to those. So if you feel at the moment like you've had a number of no's in your Christian walk, look, come before God again and say, God, what do you have me? Let me submit again to your building plans. And finally, though, and the key lesson here is that we learn something so important about God's nature here in this passage. That he wants us, like David, to rest first in the house that he has built for us before we seek to build him anything. Let me expand on this just a touch. Do you know if you're a Christian here today, through the work of Jesus, God has unbreakably promised you pretty much everything that he promised David in this part of scripture. I mean, like David, he has promised he will look after you and build your life to glory, not shame. There are tons of places in the New Testament that describe this. Just Let me just read Romans 8, 29, 30 from the message version, because it's, a, it's a, just a great summary of this truth. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son, Jesus. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. And after he called them by name, 
He set them on a solid basis with himself, removing all the shame and wrongdoing that got in the way. And then, after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun in making them like Jesus. Do you know, God has promised to take hold of your life if you're in him and to move you on in the likeness of his son, to glory, not shame. Do you know, secondly, we see throughout the New Testament that he has made a place of refuge and rest available for his people always, where they will know rest from disturbance and anxiety. There are so many places we could go for this, but Philippians 4, 5 to 6 is one of the most famous. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about every, anything, but pray about everything. Give supplication and thanksgiving and let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We have been given access to his presence to know peace from the anxieties, the worries and the disturbances of his life. We can always go and be with him in his dwelling place. And finally, God promises us now that he is building his kingdom through Jesus Christ and that we are a part of it. Again, so many scriptures I could go to. Just, I love Mark 4, 4, 30 to 32, which just is Jesus describing his mission and the kingdom come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Jesus here is talking about how the kingdom has started and will start to grow from the seed of his coming on into all of the world and beyond. We know from Passages like those at the beginning of Acts where the Holy Spirit comes. One of the ways he does this now is by seeding the Holy Spirit in our hearts, making us like mini temples, mini movable temples of the Holy Spirit who can take his presence on into every culture and situation we come to. Now, God is expanding his kingdom through Jesus and his plan. And of that we can be assured do you know, when we put these together, God wants his people to understand that through Jesus, we have come to have the same foundation of confidence and joy and praise that he gave David in this moment in his life in 2 Samuel 7. That our lives, like his, are utterly secure in him through the highs and the lows, through the failures and through even death. That he has made a place of perfect safety in his presence, where we can now always, without barrier, find his peace from disturbance. And that we now too are part of this eternal kingdom expansion that God is doing. We can have confidence always that the burden is not ours, but God will and is expanding his kingdom. He lifts the heavy burdens from around our necks for this. 
I just want to close today with a question on the back of this, which is simple. Have you understood these promises, these covenant unbreakable promises in your heart? Have they taken hold? Have you understood the extent of the house that God is building in your life? Have you come to rest in this or have you set on a course without this? Growing weary, tired, burdened, overwhelmed. Have you lost sight of the fact that he has got hold of your life? That he is looking after you? That he has created places of rest for you? Have you lost confidence that he will build his kingdom? If so, I just want to pray that God's spirit in this moment would restore you to the promises that he has made and that there'll be a deep knowledge in your heart again that God is faithful and he will fulfill every word he has spoken and that he is king and protector of your life and will advance his kingdom. And finally, I just want to say, if you've never known the confidence, the peace and the rest from disturbance that God promises his people here in this passage and in the promises of Jesus, I want you to know it's completely available to you in Jesus. All you have to do is step out and invite Jesus to be king of your life and your heart. And if you want to know more, please do not hesitate to contact us at Freedom Church. We'd love to chat to you more about that. God bless you this morning.